Welcome back, goblins! You're listening to the Esoteric News Briefs, your source for the mysterious, the supernatural, and the weird. I'm your host, Jason. Let's get started. From LiveScience.com, 1800-year-old altar to pagan god Pan, hidden in a Byzantine church. Written by Laura Gagel. The newly discovered altar was inscribed with the words, Athenion, son of Sosipatros of Antioch, is dedicating the altar to the god Pan Heliopolitanus. He built the altar using his own personal money in fulfillment of a vow he made. This was clearly a modest, charitable donation. The altar was discovered with its lettering hidden and the stone repurposed within a church wall. Quote, the wall is made of simple stones and there's this one great big stone, says Adi Ehrlich, project coordinator and archaeologist of the Zinman Institute of Archaeology at Haifa University. It seems the stone carver who was commissioned for this piece was quite the amateur. The lettering shrinks in size as it approaches the bottom of the altar and even wraps around to the side to complete the phrase. Athenion would have traveled to the area known today as Banias, originally called Panias with a P, in reference to the god Pan, to visit the sacred waterfall. This site was later considered a sacred site by Christians, who believed that this is where Jesus told Peter, I give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Speculation is that the altar to Pan was repurposed in the construction of the church as a means of delegitimizing the god. While this is one possibility, I personally think that there is a more likely alternative. It is possible that this was never an active altar, considering the poor lettering, and that the actual altar was otherwise lost to history. The recently discovered one would have been utilized because it's a solid piece of stone and was likely donated or sold at a discount to the builders of the church. This can be seen at times with modern headstones when a misprint is made or when there is damage to the stone mid-construction. Then again, after traveling 200 miles, Athenion may have just said, eh, good enough, and left it as is. We may never know. In the wake of the collapse of the Arecibo radio telescope, researchers are redirecting the way they are searching the heavens. From Scientific American, Let's search for alien probes, not just alien signals, by Avi Loeb. In a 1960 paper in the journal Nature, Ronald Bracewell noted that SETI should be searching for physical probes sent into our solar system in addition to detecting various communication waves. We were, after all, sending out our own probes, so why would an extraterrestrial civilization not do the same? In Loeb's upcoming book, Extraterrestrial, he will go into detail about 2017's discovery of an interstellar object known as Oumuamua. What made Oumuamua unique? First, its appearance. Unlike other comets or asteroids that we have observed, Oumuamua was relatively flat and long. It had no tail like we see from comets, and it had a shiny surface. More interestingly, it had enough propulsion to avoid the gravitational pull of our sun. In fact, this object seemed to be propelled by the sun's rays instead. If this is the case, the object would be utilizing technology that we know as light sails. In September of 2020, another object with similar traits was seen orbiting the sun, roughly following an Earth-like orbit. This time, the object was one of ours. Known as 2020 SO, this object was in fact a stray rocket booster from Crashed Lunar Lander Surveyor 2, 
What this recent sighting does for us is that it lends more credence to the idea that Oumuamua was not a naturally forming astral object. It shared many characteristics with our observations of the Surveyor 2 rocket booster, though it did not match the orbit of any Earth-based space junk. That, and the fact that eventually it left orbit and our solar system. So why did we not notice it right away? It seems that Oumuamua was traveling at relative speed of planetary orbit, making it appear to be a natural object. What better way to disguise it than to make it unremarkable as possible? Consider this to be the equivalent of trying to turn off your headlights and setting your car to coast while you're trying to pull into your parents' driveway after you've been out past curfew. You didn't drive home like that, but when you began to approach your destination, you did everything you could to avoid drawing attention to yourself. How does this help us search for extraterrestrial probes? Avi relates the following anecdote. When he was at the beach, he was looking at the shells washed up on the shore. Amidst those shells was a plastic bottle. Even from a distance, he could observe the manufactured object among those that formed naturally. Astronomers look at astral bodies, debris, comets, asteroids, etc., enough that they should be able to notice when something is out of place. They just have to know to look for it. From ScienceAlert.com This new type of glue is activated by magnetic fields, and it's really easy to use. By David Neald Most industrial adhesives use environmental effects to cure. Ultraviolet radiation, heat, or moisture. What makes this mixture unique is that it incorporates magnetic nanoparticles that heat up when a magnetic current is applied. Because the nanoparticles are distributed evenly throughout, the adhesive will cure uniformly as well. While this technically heat cures the adhesive, it doesn't generate enough heat to damage the surface of the objects that it's binding. Beyond safety concerns, this new adhesive conserves energy as well. Many commercial epoxies require lengthy curing times in high-temperature ovens, while this new epoxy can be cured in minutes using a fraction of the electricity that an industrial epoxy oven uses. Additionally, the amount of magnetic current can be adjusted to create a longer or shorter curing time, depending on the necessity of the project. While this technology will be all-inclusive in the future, it is also designed to be sold as a powdered additive that can be mixed with current one-part epoxy resins. From thedailybeast.com The Kenyan Maasai who once hunted lions are now their saviors. By Andrew Dubbins This article is quite a lengthy story, and I'm going to only present the highlights here. In Kenya, the Maasai tribe is renowned for their skill in hunting and killing lions. When lions had more territory and places to escape human habitation, this was a necessity used to fend off those who grew too bold and attacked herders and their cattle. With more and more land being used for industrialization, lions are finding fewer safe places, forcing them into closer habitation with the Maasai. The Maasai culture, specifically for the men, lion hunting is a rite of passage and a measuring tool for manhood. To be clear, these lions are not being hunted with firearms or long-range weapons. They are being hunted on foot using hand-wielded spears. The danger is real and imminent. Because this is so ingrained in the culture, 
convincing them to cease the hunt is just short of impossible, even with dwindling numbers of lions. Enter Dr. Leela Haza. While working on her master's thesis, Dr. Haza noticed the correlation between declining lion populations and the cultural impact it was having on the Maasai. She eventually lived in a Maasai community, becoming a part of the culture. She saw the amount of time and effort that young Maasai boys dedicated to learning about the habits and habitats of lions. They were training to become experts on their quarry. That's when she developed the idea to redirect this expertise slightly. Instead of training to hunt and kill lions, she is working with them to hunt and conserve them. No one knows the routines and habits of these massive felines better than the Maasai, and by declaring them the guardians of their heritage, it allows the Maasai men to retain their honor. Only now, instead of slaying the beast, they will tranquilize it, help scientists take samples, fit the animal with tracking devices, and monitor it long term. It is not a single event that is concluded by a kill, but now it's an ongoing duty to care for this tagged creature. I will allow you to read the in-depth article for yourself, but I have to warn you ahead of time that in the introduction, there's a detailed description of a lion hunt. For those who are squeamish, you may want to skip the fourth paragraph entirely. Besides that, the article is a fantastic read. Now for the inner child in all of us, the 10 Coolest Dinosaur Findings of 2020, from LiveScience.com, again by Laura Gaggle. She also introduces the article with a quip from Jurassic Park. Hold on to your butts. I'm going to summarize these quickly. If anything draws your attention, you can click on the link in the show notes for the full article. Number 1. Spinosaurs Could Swim the most complete Spinosaurus skeleton that had ever been discovered was destroyed in World War II during a bombing raid. Since then, the physiology of Spinosaurus has largely been speculative, at least until 2020. It has now been concluded that the tail structure of Spinosaurus was built like a paddle and would have made this fearsome creature quite the swimmer. Number 2. Dino Diet the fully fossilized stomach contents of a Nodosaurus was analyzed and it was discovered that, despite being such a large creature, it was quite the picky eater. Its diet consisted of the leaves of a particular fern, no stems, as well as small round stones known as gastroliths that helped it break down its food. Number 3. Horned Titanosaur Embryo Titanosaurs are some of the largest creatures to have ever walked the earth but at one point in their lives, they were quite tiny. Examination of fossilized titanosaur embryos showed that it had a calcified horn projecting from its nose, similar to the egg tooth seen in some modern reptiles. It is suspected that it served a similar function, since it was lost later as the creature matured. Number 4. Soft-Shelled Eggs Fossil evidence shows that certain species may have had soft-shelled eggs, the study posits that Protoceratops, Musasaurus, and Mosasaurs seem to have eggs similar to those of turtles. Number 5. New Rex A new species of Tyrannosaur has been discovered and classified in Alberta, Canada. Named Thanatotheristes, this new predator's name translates to Reaper of Death. Standing about 8 feet tall, 
Thanatotheristes wasn't the largest tyrannosaur, but it was still quite deadly. Number 6. Dinosaur? It sounds like something out of Jurassic Park, but a tiny preserved skull was discovered encased in amber in a dig in Myanmar. Initially thought to be the world's smallest dinosaur ever discovered, it has since been reclassified as a lizard. Quote, It's just a really weird animal, and an important discovery, regardless of whether it's a weird bird or just a weird lizard with a bird's head, says study co-lead researcher Jingmai O'Connor. Number 7. Baby Rex Two tiny fossil discoveries are helping us learn more about the fearsome Tyrannosaurus rex. These embryonic fossils show that these massive land predators were once the size of a mouse before ballooning into the behemoths that they became as they aged. Number 8. A Rex by Any Other Name It has long been debated whether or not Nanotyrannus was a unique species, but current research is starting to show that it's likely that fossil finds are of a juvenile Tyrannosaurus rex. Growth patterns in the bones show formations that would be expected from a rapidly maturing teenage tyrannosaur. Number 9. Dueling Dinosaurs Fossils of the most complete Tyrannosaurus rex and Triceratops skeletons were discovered in 2006, but when placed up for auction, they had no bidders. This past year, the North Carolina Museum of Natural Sciences purchased the pair for $6 million. The museum plans to use them in an interactive exhibit that allows students and the public to be involved as scientists extract the fossils from their matrix. Finally, number 10. Could duckbills swim? The remains of a duckbill dinosaur species, Ajnabia odysseus, was discovered in Morocco. When duckbills were a common species in North America, Africa was an island continent, isolated from the rest of the world. Quote, it was completely out of place. It was like finding a kangaroo in Scotland, says lead researcher Nicholas Longrich. It is still unclear how this species made its way to Cretaceous Africa. From ScienceAlert.com We may have dog friends because wolves once preferred different food, study suggests, by Carly Kaseya. Scientists in Finland have proposed a new theory about canine domestication, and it all comes down to, really, a human diet. At the end of the Ice Age, hunting megafauna was key to the survival of humanity. Much of our ancestors' fat reserves came from large game, but as winter progressed, animals were using their own fat reserves to stay alive. As a result, the animals we hunted for food became increasingly more lean. Without fatty deposits, the meat becomes more protein-dense, making it harder for humans to digest. That means, when an animal was butchered, we would take the fattiest parts, leaving the more lean cuts for scavengers such as wolves. Because the two species, wolves and man, were not in competition for resources, they eventually began coexisting, and eventually cohabitating. Finally, we have one of the most amazing stories I've seen in quite a while. Not because it's exciting, but because of its implications. From archaeology.org, two million-year-old stone tools found in East Africa. That's right, two million years old. 
International researchers unearthed a selection of lithic tools west of Oldapai Gorge in Tanzania. These tools include pebbles, cores, flakes, and polyhedral stones showing evidence that they were worked by intelligent hands. The new excavation site at Awas Oldupa shows evidence of periodic hominin inhabitation as late as 1.8 to 2 million years old. Studies of the layers of earthen strata show that this area's environment fluctuated and human habitation shifted, likely based on volcanic activity in the region. That concludes this edition of the Esoteric News Briefs. As always, links to all the articles are in the show notes. If you like what you heard, please leave a review on whatever podcast app you are using. Esoteric Book Club can be found on Instagram, Facebook, Patreon, and at esotericbookclub.org. This show is made possible by subscribing Patreons like Samantha Shaver. Those who pledge above a certain level are also eligible for a shout-out on episodes, as well as access to content voting and articles. Until next time, remember, stay weird. <laughs>